Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. And I'm grateful to God. I, I think that every day I'm just grateful to God. And God has been so good to me in my life. The grace of God has been evident in my life. Those people who know me very well, they know the grace of God has been evident in my life. And I think it's not just to me. The grace of God has been very good to many of you. Uh, I love pastoring this church. I love when we gather and we worship. And we are unabashed worship. If you're new here, like, you're like, that's weird. Like we, Our perspective is who we worship. It's not about the actual worship. It's that we worship the great God of heaven, the great God of creation. And so we say, how can we not be excited about that? I'm grateful for uh, to be in a church that's generous, like our church is generous. We, we support missionaries all over the world. We support missionaries right here in our own city. I love seeing that. I, I love the gifts that have been given throughout this body. And so, man, what a great day to just gather and worship. And I'm glad that you could be here and experience it with us. Um, a couple things. Uh, really just one thing maybe to mention, uh, just so you know, come up next uh, Sunday, two weeks, 5th, 5th of June. I have no idea where I'm at. 5th of June, I know it's that. 5th of June is Pentecost Sunday, and Pentecost Sunday is a big deal for the church. Pentecost is where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, absent the Holy Spirit. Like, just think, absent the Holy Spirit. Just ponder that for a minute. Your life absent the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of God with us now everywhere we go. And so Pentecost Sunday, we'll have a guest speaker you do not want to miss. You, I'm just telling you, you, you don't want to miss. You don't want to dial in on, on, on TV, right, on the computer. You want to be here in the building. It's one of the most gifted teachers that I know. Uh, it's one of my favorite teachers you'll see when you get here. But it's a day when we're, we're going to celebrate Pentecost and discuss the significance of Pentecost and what that means to us. Uh, also, though, in conjunction with that, uh, next, uh, our next uh, coming uh, uh, per circles, per circles, per circles has been moved. So it'll just be moved back one week. So next Sunday would normally be, or tonight would normally be prayer circles because we have our group leader celebration, just so you know that. So we don't have prayer circles tonight. It's always the third Sunday, but it's not tonight. But be prepared. It is next Sunday night. It is next Sunday night. So next Sunday night, set your schedule. You're going to want to be here for prayer circles. We always say prayer, prayer is not where we prepare for battle. Prayer is where we do battle. And so we come and we do battle together. We're going to join as the body of Christ. So you're going to want to plan on being there. It's always at 6.30, third Sunday of every month. It just got flipped this month because of an event we have going on tonight. We've been studying through uh, the book of Luke. We've been studying through Luke's gospel. Uh, if you're newer to church world, we use the term gospel. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the gospels are really kind of essentially accounts of the life of Jesus. And they're written by four different men. And all, the, all, all four men have different perspectives. They're different men. They see things from different angles. I oftentimes describe it if, if there was a car accident right and four of you saw it you certain things would stick out in your head and you would see different things and you're standing at a different point on the street and so you see different things and you report different things and that's really how the gospels work and we've been looking through Luke's gospel we know that Luke was a an actual physician and so Luke is extremely detail-oriented in how he presents certain things very important Luke is the only non-Jew to write in the New Testament. He's the only non-Jew. He's a Gentile. And so because of that, Luke has a passion for Gentiles. And you see him explain the grace of God as it's, as it's given to Gentiles, non-Jews. And so we're going to see that again today. But something struck me that was very interesting, in particular last week when Pastor Amos was teaching. And we saw a phrase in the Bible that just stood out to me and struck me. And it was this. 
Luke 5 verse 1 says this. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. Great crowds. This is something that is consistent throughout the ministry of Jesus. Great crowds. Large crowds. Great crowds flocked to Jesus. We also see this in Matthew's gospel. It says large crowds followed him wherever he went. Like, that's very interesting to me, that great crowds gathered, and large crowds were with Jesus wherever he went. In Mark's gospel, it says this, Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and again, a large crowd, large crowds, great crowds, large crowds, lots of people, everybody crowding in on Jesus. And it makes me stop and think, what was it that was so attractive about Jesus? Why is it that Jesus is so attractive to everyone that everywhere he goes, word gets out, hey, that Jesus is coming, that Jesus is coming, and people just start to flock. And in light of that, especially, I would ask this question, how come we're not? Like, that's really interesting to me. Do you you know that, that the culture is not very interested in the church? Did you know that a lot of millennials are leaving the church, but they're not leaving God they're leaving the church. That's interesting stuff to me. I think we got to take a long, hard look at that, especially as we ask the question, why were people so attracted to Jesus? What was it about him? I think we need to take note. Now listen, if you're a church person, you're a church person, you call yourself a Christian, you call yourself a follower of Jesus, I think we ought to be just like, heads up, yeah, that's right, that's right. What was so attractive about Jesus? Why were people so attracted to him? I think we ought to be paying attention and maybe try to pick that up. But I would say this. If you don't call yourself a church person, you don't call yourself a follower of Jesus, you say, I'm not really a Christian. I just happen to come into church. Somebody invited me. I just happen to tune in. By the way, welcome to our online viewers. I just happen to tune in today. I'm just promising you this. And and please just take my word for this. When we get about three quarters of the way through this, there is a word that is so powerful for you. It will change your life forever. And that, that is not hyperbole. It will change your life forever. So if that's you today and you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I just popped into church. Somebody invited me. Just dial in with me. Because after about two, three quarters of the way through, there's something for you that will change your life forever. All right, so I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. That's where we're at today. We just keep teaching through the book, Luke chapter 7. And when you have it, uh, if you just stand to your feet for me. And again, if you're a visitor, uh, just know this. We don't up down the whole day, right? But in particular, when we read our primary text, we stand. And the reason we do that, I always say this, it's not right, it's not wrong. If you go to a different church and they do it differently, that's, that's not wrong. We just do it because it always reminds us, this is God now speaking to us. This is God, believe it or not, speaking in the middle of Bloomington in 2022. This is God speaking to us. This is uh, Luke chapter 7, and just so you know, I'm starting in verse 36. That's where I'm starting, verse 36. Follow along, it says this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner, verse 40. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, 
And he says, Simon to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. And so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now, Simon, who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many, but they've been forgiven. And so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Verse 48, then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And then Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your word. We don't take it for granted. We're grateful for your holy word. And uh, what we need now, Father, is understanding. That only comes through your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we acknowledge right now we desperately need you. We're asking you, give us understanding. I'm praying, Father, that these words would pierce our hearts. Lord, we, we would uh, pray against any distraction this morning. We pray that these words will have the exact intent that you desire. Do this in a way, Father, that draws us to you, that brings honor and glory to your name only. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So it's certainly an interesting passage. And so we're going to work our way through the passage because what we ultimately want is understanding. We want the revelation of God. So look in your Bibles. This is 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. Now, you need to understand this about the Pharisees. The Pharisees are one of three sects, S-E-T-C-S, sects. And they're the Pharisees, they're the Sadducees, and they're the Essenes, and they're the religious leaders of the day. And uh, they all are Jewish, but they all have some slightly different beliefs. For instance, uh, some of you know the Sadducees didn't really believe in the afterlife in terms of there would be a resurrection, Right? Well, they all uh, thought something different. The Pharisees were known for their strict adherence to the Mosaic law, meaning the Old Testament, what the Jews would call the Torah. They were known for that. They were always at odds with Jesus. In Matthew 23, Jesus took on the Pharisees and he rebukes the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, and he rebukes them for their self-righteousness, for their... Uh, it, it was more important to the Pharisees to be right than to do what is right. Let me say that again. It was more important to the Pharisees to be right than to do what is right. So let me give you the classic example. You're leaving church today and you're the passenger in the front seat of a car and in the middle of your ride home, you know that you're having a massive heart attack. It's a screamer, you know it. You know that you could very likely soon die. And so you tell the driver of the automobile, I'm having a massive heart attack, get me to the hospital and step on it. And the driver of the car says, speed limit here is 35. I ain't driving over 35. 
because they're concerned about being right. The right thing to do would be to drive 95, right? The Pharisees were that way. They're more concerned about being right than doing the right thing. Jesus rebuked them for their self-righteousness. Jesus rebuked them for their attention to the minutia of the law while ignoring the bigger picture of justice, of righteousness, of faithfulness. That's who the Pharisees are. Okay, this certain Pharisee has asked Jesus to dinner with him. The Pharisees are always at odds with Jesus. They don't believe that he's the Messiah. And this guy asked Jesus to his house for dinner. Now, understand this, that he very likely has ulterior motives. The Pharisees, you, you know this, many of you know this, the Pharisees were always looking to trap Jesus and find some, some great error in his way and accuse him of some kind of blasphemy or something like that. So this guy invites Jesus to his house. Well, knowing that, what does Jesus do? He goes to his home and he sits down to eat with him. It's very interesting to me. Jesus knows this about this guy. He knows the guy probably has ulterior motives. He, he knows who the Pharisees are and he knows what they think of him. They know that they, they absolutely don't believe he's the Messiah. And Jesus says, right on, let's go to dinner. So it says, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Now, commentators talk about this all the time. What does this certain immoral woman mean? We can speculate on it. We don't know. The, the reality is we don't know. The text doesn't tell us. We'll talk about this in just a bit. But she was a certain immoral woman, which tells us this. This woman is a notorious sinner. Like everybody knows her. They know. Psst, there she is. You know, that certain immoral woman. They all know about her. They know what her sin is. They know this about her. And she hears that Jesus is going to be eating there, and she brings this expensive right, perfume in the bottle. Now, just so you know, the way that those dinners worked is, remember, they lived in a very dry and hot climate. And so the way that, that, that things were structured in their homes, this man would invite Jesus over, and they would sit kind of, if you're going to call the dining room, that's okay, call the dining room. But it's not like that. It's this open room, this open area. And so they would be at this table... Right, But other people could just walk in. That was common. That was their, their custom. Other people could just walk in and they could sit around the outskirts. They could stand around the outskirts. They could see who was at dinner and they could, uh, they could listen to the conversation. Right? Also know this, that when it says he sat at the table, that's our translation today. They don't sit at tables. So what they would do is they would lean in. Jesus probably leans on his left elbow and then he's going to eat with his right hand. And they all have their heads in here and they're having discussion. And you need to know this, his feet are back behind him. Right? You, you sit at the table means you really lean in at the table. You're laying on the floor, probably on some pillows, and your feet are back here behind you. This certain immoral woman comes in, and she's got this beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Here's what you need to know. The jar and the contents tell us this thing is valuable. Whatever, whatever's in there, this jar, this perfume, it's extremely expensive, extremely valuable. Then she kneels behind Jesus at his feet. Remember, he's sitting like this. His feet are back here. She comes right in. She goes to his feet. Now, now you should also know this, that this woman will find us out later in the text. She was already there when Jesus got there. So in other words, she heard that Jesus was going to be there. She understands how dinner works. She gets there early. If dinner started at 7, she probably got there at quarter to 7. And she's waiting. And now she goes immediately to his feet, and she is weeping. Her tears fall on his feet, and she wipes the tears off with her own hair. And then she kept kissing his feet, and she was putting perfume on the feet. Okay, just so we're all aware of this, it is now officially awkward in the room. You understand what I'm saying? 
This is a certain immoral woman. She is a notorious sinner. She has entered the house. Not only has she entered it, she's gone to the feet of Jesus and she is weeping. She's wiping the most grotesque part of his body in a dry and dusty culture, his dirty feet where they don't wear shoes. She's weeping on those and then she's wiping it down with the most glorious part of a woman's body. Her glory is her hair. She's doing that. P.S. She's now kissing his feet. P.S. She's now wiping his feet with this perfume. It's awkward as all get out in this room. I was trying to think, what would awkward be in our service? Like, who would come into the service and just walk up, right? Like, it's awkward like that. It's just weird in the room right now. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he says, now this is important, he says this to himself. He doesn't say it out loud. He's saying this in his head. If this man were a prophet, just know this, he's doubting who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just a prophet. He was a prophet. He was way more. He was God. But he says, if this guy were really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. She's a certain immoral woman. She's a notoriously sinful woman. And then Jesus, this is so cool. Jesus answers his thoughts. It's like Jesus got ESPN, right? Like she's just, she's just thinking it. And Jesus just answers her, his thoughts, right? Simon's thinking this. He says, Simon, he says to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And Simon's like, go ahead, teacher, right? So now Jesus is going to tell him a story. Now the story is really simple. The story is really simple. Jesus makes it a short story. Hey, there's a guy who's got lots of money. And two guys come to him and they're borrowing money. The one guy borrows 50 pieces of silver. The other guy borrows 500 pieces of silver. And just for perspective, Roughly 50 pieces of silver is a month's worth of salary. 100, uh, 500 pieces of silver is about a year and a half's worth of salary. So let's just say this. Let's, let's say you made 80K, a good salary, right? You made 80K. 50 pieces of silver is about $6,500. A year and a half salary is 120K. Are you with me? 6,500 bucks, 120K. Because at the end of the day, neither person could pay him back. And so the guy who loaned them the money just was like, it's all good. Now, one guy got, how, how many of you would like to borrow 6,500 bucks and just have them say, it's okay, you don't have to pay me back. Would you like that? Okay, okay let me ask you this. You just borrowed 120K. And the dude's like, no sweat. Who's in for that one? Yes, I'm in for that all day, every day. Right? Well, that's what happened. This, this, this guy just, it's all good. So Jesus now is going to ask a question, and he says, Simon, who do you suppose loved him more after that happened? Simon, who loved him more, 6,500 or 120K? And I love the way that Simon asks, answers this. He says, uh, I suppose, like you know Simon knows that he's being set up. You do know that. Because Simon goes like this, uh, I, uh, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says, oh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now watch what he explains to Simon. He says this to him. Hey, Simon, now you all know this, that in the Middle East and in the near ancient East, hospitality is at a premium. It's such a large part of their culture. And there's still cultures in the world that are like that. Like in the ancient Near East, if you went and you traveled into a, into a town, you just showed up at the town square and somebody is supposed to invite you to stay at their house. They don't know you. That's ancient Near East hospitality, right? In America, it's not like that. We've tried it. We went down to the bus depot. Nobody invited us to their home. You remember that? We did that. 
One guy did, and we didn't want to go there. Remember that? So, so he says to Simon, he says, hey, Simon, here's the deal. I came to your house, and you know, Simon, that in our culture, you're instantly supposed to offer to either wash my feet or Simon would have had someone in his house that worked. Someone is supposed to come and wash my feet. Jesus said, you didn't do that. You know that's hospitality in our culture. You didn't do that. But you know what? This woman that you look down upon, she washed my feet with her tears, and she dried my feet with her hair. My most grotesque body part in this culture, dirty feet, with her most glorious part. Here's another thing for you, Simon. I walked into your house. You know this. You know our culture. You know you're supposed to greet me with a kiss. You didn't, you didn't greet me with a kiss, Simon. You know what? This woman didn't either. Oh, that's right. She's been kissing my feet, Simon. Oh, hey, one last thing for you, Simon. Uh, you know that in our culture, you know hospitality. You know that when I walk into your house, you know that you're supposed to anoint my head with olive oil. It's, 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 a, it's a, 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 an action of refreshment in a dusty and dry culture. They would just normally do that. It's refreshment. Oh, Simon, she didn't do that either. That's right. She anointed my feet with the most expensive perfume. Simon, you didn't do any of that. She, 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 she went above and beyond. And then he says this, and I love this. He says, I tell you. Now, here's how I read this, because, you know, I'm, I'm very visual, and I like to play these scenes out in my head. He said, her sins, and there are many, they have been forgiven. I picture it like this. He's talking to Simon like this, and he goes, yeah, her sins are forgiven. He doesn't say that to Simon. Simon's sins aren't forgiven. Simon wasn't grateful at all. He says, oh, yeah, by the way, Simon, her sins are forgiven. And listen to me, Simon. I'm, I'm acknowledging this. she got a lot of sin. You and I both know that, right? Like, this is a certain immoral woman. We both know she's got a lot of sin. I'm going to tell you what. Her sins are forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Simon didn't show any love. She, Simon wasn't sorry at all. And then this is phenomenal. Jesus now turns to the woman and he tells her, your sins are forgiven. He says that to the woman and everybody in the room can hear it. So the other people who are sitting at the table, many of them would have been Pharisees. They would have been Pharisees. And they start to question in their head and they're like, who's this dude that he thinks he can just forgive sin? Oh, Jesus takes it up another level. He's about to amp it up. And so now he says this to the woman. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has actually saved you. Your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. You say, what does that mean? If you're, if you're new to the church, you say, what does it mean? It saved you. Her faith has saved her, as in she's placed her faith and trust in Christ. I'm going to show you that in a minute. She placed her faith in Christ, and now she is united with Christ. She is one in Christ. Listen, these bodies die. Yes? Are we all aware of that? But you don't die. Like, isn't that a weird thought? These bodies are going to quit. These bodies are going to quit. But you don't have to quit. You don't have to die. Her soul now will live on. So once you place your faith in Christ, there is eternal life, which means right now, if you're following Christ, you're never going to die. You can just know this. Your body's going to quit. But you have eternal life right now. Your eternal life has already begun, and it just goes on into eternity. And he's saying that has now happened already for this woman. They're all questioning, like, you've forgiven her. What do you mean she's been forgiven? What do you mean her faith? Who, who do you think you are? And he's like, oh, sister. Your faith has saved you. And now you go in peace. Why? Because when you know that, when you know that that issue is settled, when you know that you will never die, when you know that you'll spend eternity in heaven with the Father, when you know that that is available to you, how are you not at peace? 
Of course you're at peace. So this is what I want to do. I want to make some observations about this story. I want to make some particular observations of the story. Let's look at the woman first. Here's what we notice about the woman. The woman is full of remorse. You notice that about the woman? Listen, this isn't the first time she's seen Jesus. It's not the first time she's heard Jesus. She has heard him. She has seen him. She may have seen a miracle. She knows his teaching. She is, con- she is uh, familiar with his teaching. And she has been convicted by his teaching. So what happens? So she shows up and she throws herself at his feet and she begins crying. She's sorry. Now think about this. And I'm going to ask you to just speculate for a minute. We don't know what this woman, Hillary, we've talked about this, right? We don't know what her great sin is. Many commentators believe that she was a prostitute. We don't know that. So I'm asking, just go with me for a minute, right? Let's, Let's assume for a minute that she's a prostitute. She's certainly notorious and everybody knows her. Now think about this. And I'm seriously not trying to be crass. So just cut me a little slack here. In a culture like theirs where it's really hot, and it's really humid, and you really don't have things to assist you in areas of hygiene. Like you can't just pop in anywhere and take a shower. Are you with me? Okay, now in light of that, think about this. Think about how important perfume would be to a prostitute. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, now watch how this works in that culture. They oftentimes would wear their perfume around their neck. It's in a bottle. These these bottles would have long necks, and they had a tie around it, and they would wear it. And so you'd buy little bottles and you'd have them all over. This particular bottle, right, is in her bottles. And this is an alabaster jar. It's really expensive. This is a really expensive perfume. They even think it came from India, very, very, very likely at the base of the Himalayas. She's wearing it around her. It's got a long neck. Once you break the neck to that bottle, it's over. It's done. Now think about this. In essence, this woman could very likely be saying this. I'm breaking the bottle of this neck the neck of this bottle, and I'm pouring it on Jesus' feet, and I'm not going to be able to use this one anymore. Question, why would I need to use it anymore? I'm done. The grace of God has been revealed to me. I've heard the teachings of Jesus. I'm placing my faith in Christ. That's not a statement. Pastor Amos talked about this last week. Faith isn't just some, some statement we make. It's, not a, it's, a, it's a life of behavior. It's not a belief. It's a behavior. Listen to what this woman is doing. Break, I'm done because I don't need this stuff anymore. My life is about to change forever. I'm leaving the old and I'm moving on. Like this is a woman who's full of genuine remorse. She, she's been saved by her faith. It can't, man, if you, if you know the Bible and all, if you don't, it, it just can't help it. I, I always think of this, Ephesians 2.8. For it's by grace that you've been saved, that you've been united with Christ, that you know that you will never die. You will never die. Oh, your body's going to quit. That's a given. But eternity in heaven, you've been saved by grace. Through what? Through our faith. Through saying, man, I trust in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I commit my life to Jesus, and I'm leaving the old behind. See, that saves you. This woman is full of remorse of true sorrow. She's like contrite. She threw herself at Jesus' feet and she's weeping. That's the woman. What about Simon? She's full of remorse. Simon's full of himself. Simon's a Pharisee. He's a Pharisee. Like Pharisees, this is, Pharisees are very interesting to me because Pharisees just need to feel a little bit better than you. That's all. Pharisees just need to feel better than you. They don't see themselves in light of God. They they just see themselves in light of other people. You do know this, 
You do know this, that we can also use the term Pharisee metaphorically. They're real, but we can use it metaphorically. You do know that Pharisee is how a lot of the world sees a lot of the church. I'll say that again. A lot of people in the world see a lot of the church folks as Pharisees. Because sometimes we think we're just better than them. It's not about being better than anybody else. Let me ask you this. Some of you who've been in church long enough, you know the name Isaiah? Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet. Godly man, yes or no? Man of God, voice of God, prophet of Israel. He has a revelation. We read about it in Isaiah chapter 6. He has a revelation of who God is. And what does he say about God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He intentionally says it three times because in the Hebrew language, that, that's an emphasis of man. God is not just holy. He's holy. And after, after he has a revelation of who God is, he doesn't say, I'm better than most of these Jews today. No, this is exactly what he said. He said, it's all over. I'm doomed. For I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. And I live among a people with filthy lips. He's not seeing himself in light of other people. He sees himself in the light of a holy God. See, the Pharisees, they're just comparing like this. I just need to be a little bit better than you. You know why Simon thinks he's good? Because he's just looking at the woman. He's like, that's a woman with sin. See, I'm doing pretty well. See, that's Pharisees. Now, listen to me. Sometimes if you've been in the church long enough, you become a Pharisee. Confession. I spent a lot of years as a Pharisee. I spent a lot of years as a Pharisee. Pharisaism is, is born out of insecurity. It's born out of pride. And God broke me of that. Now, I still have tendencies. I'm telling you what, man. Sometimes life will kick you in the mouth, and it will break you of some of your Pharisee thoughts. All right, man, you see your own chiclets falling out, and you think, oh, man, I could be a Pharisee. Right? And, and so God, God has, has, has just steadily been breaking me of that. I think we have, to, we have to think about that when we're in the church. How many of us are just concerned, more concerned with being right than with doing the right thing? How many of us are constantly looking around and saying, oh, I'm better than they are? See, that's Pharisee. Now, think about this. Think about Simon's effect as a Pharisee on the people around him. So you chase people away from God. You just chase people away from God. And sometimes Pharisees, we don't even treat non-believers that way. Here's a crazy thing. Sometimes Pharisees, we're disruptive inside the church, and we treat other church folk that way. You understand what I'm saying? And I think we have to guard our hearts from that. We can't be the Pharisees. We're chasing people away from God. I'll say this as somebody who doesn't have kids, so I feel like I always have to give that disclaimer. But let me tell you an observation of life. Sometimes parents, you should, you should be heads up if you have small children. Parents, when you live as Pharisees, you will chase your own children away from the faith. Now, there are all kinds of reasons that kids go away from the faith. So this isn't to give you guilt. Like, oh, my, my, my child isn't following Jesus. I must be a Pharisee. It's not intended for that at all. I'm just warning you if, you, if you raise your children and you're really a devout Pharisee, you will chase your children away from the faith. You know why? Because they see the hypocrisy. They go, well, I hear him say all this, but I know what's going on in our house. They're more concerned about being right than doing the right thing. See, the woman is full of remorse. Very interesting. Simon is full of himself. What about Jesus? I love this. He's just full of grace. See, we ask the question, how come people are so attracted to Jesus when in reality they're not very attracted to the church? Oh, maybe this is it. See, Jesus 
is full of grace. Listen, man, that room got uncomfortable. I'm just telling you, that room got uncomfortable. And Simon makes two really interesting presuppositions. The first one is correct. The second one is totally off base. Simon's first presupposition when he's talking in his head, he says, oh, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who this woman is. Now, Jesus was more than a prophet. He was God himself. Did Jesus know who this woman was? Yeah, see, Simon's second presupposition is this. And if he knew who she was, he wouldn't want to have anything to do with her. Nah. Jesus knew exactly who she was. I'm telling you what, he didn't bat an eye. He didn't flinch. Nothing. He only extended grace to this woman. Do you find that interesting? Simon, even though he had ulterior motives, he, he wanted to have dinner with Jesus. And this woman, sinner that she was, whatever it was, she was so attracted to Jesus. This is my favorite description of Jesus. Go to John chapter 1 and read this when you get home. John chapter 1, it says this. John 1, 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we know that what this is saying, this word word is logos. We've talked about this before. It's basically saying this. In the beginning, before time began, Jesus was, and he was with God, and he is God. Jesus is God. And then you get to verse 14, and John is going to lay it all out for it and describe it for us, and he says this. The word became flesh and made us dwelling among us. Who's he talking about? Who, came to, who became flesh? Who made, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the word. Now watch how he describes him. It's my favorite description of Jesus. He says, we have seen his glory, talking about Jesus, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Now watch this, because like words are important. Full of grace and truth. Okay, some translations say he's the fullness of grace and truth. I think this is important language. In other words, Jesus isn't the balance of grace and truth. He's the fullness of both. He's like, well, here they better have some truth. Well, here I better give them some grace. No, no, he's the fullness of both. And I believe this because men wrote the Bible, but it was inspired fully by the Holy Spirit. You understand that? These are the words of the Holy Spirit speaking through John. I don't think it's any coincidence. This is me. I, I can't back this theologically. I don't believe it's any coincidence Listen to me, that the Holy Spirit listed grace before truth. Now, now just stick with me here for a second. This is in John chapter 1. When you go to John chapter 8, John records a story of a woman who is brought in front of Jesus. She's a woman, again, it's a very comical phrase to me, the woman caught in adultery. It takes two, I think we're aware of that. So the woman who's caught in adultery, she's dragged out into the, into the street. She's probably half naked. She's dragged out into the street, and Jesus is coming along, and these, these men are trying to trap Jesus in what he's going to say. And they stop Jesus, and they go, Teacher, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery. The Mosaic Law, the Old Testament, the Torah, what the Jews would call the Torah, the Mosaic Law says she's got to be stoned to death. What do you say, teacher? And Jesus is just always very cool. He does this thing. He, he squats down, and he just starts doing this with his finger. And everybody debates over what was going on here. Is he, is he writing something? Is he writing someone's name? Is he drawing? Is he just doodling? And then he just stands up, and he goes, you're right. Let's get this gal stoned. Let's do that. I'll tell you what, here's what we'll do. The one of you who's never sinned, you throw the first rock, and then we're all going to jump in with you. Like, we're ready to go. The one who has no sin, you throw the first rock. And then Jesus just does this. And he starts doing this again, and he's just writing. And as he's doing this one by one, all the accusers, they just walk off. 
They're just walking off. And then pretty soon Jesus stands up again and he says to the woman, where are your accusers? Aren't there even one of them who condemn you? And she says, no. No, Lord, she replies. Now watch Jesus, watch his reply. This stuff's important. Get this. And then Jesus says, neither do I. I'm not condemning you either. Now, we talked about grace and truth. What's that? Oh, snap, that's grace. Now, very important observation. If you just felt your underwear tighten up, you might be a Pharisee. I have some Pharisaic thoughts. I'm like, Jesus, you got to let her know that's not okay. But do you notice what Jesus leads with? Grace. Right? Okay, then he says, go and sin no more. What's that? That's truth. Sister, you can't keep this up. This stuff's got to stop. But what did he start with? See, he starts with grace. I always think of it this way. What's your headline? At our house, man, we're old enough. We actually read the morning paper. We get the morning paper. And you pick up the morning paper, you unfold it, and the first thing you see, man, is the headline. Right? Blast! It's something inflammatory always. And I think of our lives as followers of Jesus. What's your headline? You got to know that this is sin. Y'all are sinning. Like, is that our headline? See, what if our headline was grace? Because here's what I'm going to tell you. You just start out with truth. You say, I was going to give them grace. They ain't going to hear nothing now. What if we start with grace? I'll tell this story because Pastor Amos knows him. I'm sure Albert, you, you probably know Derry. You know Pastor Derry. Derry tells this story. It's one of my favorite stories. I just love this story. It's a Sunday, and Pastor Derry's getting ready to preach. Everybody's seated, you know. And in walks a woman, and she walks right down the center aisle. She walks right down the center aisle. And he says, make no mistake about it, everybody knows she's a stripper. You see this woman, you know she's a stripper. And so heads are turning, you know, so wives are doing this thing, you know, but everybody's turning, look, it's obvious, right? She walks right down, she sits down, Pastor Derry, he preaches, and uh, she's wrecked, she's wrecked. She comes up after and she just surrenders her life to Jesus. She's just, she's just mascara everywhere, she's a train wreck. So after the service, they meet with her and they give her some materials and they're, they're going to get her started in the faith and she's going to be reading the Bible and da-da-da-da. So about a week, two weeks later, she calls him on the phone and she says, Pastor Derry, this is so-and-so. He says, oh yeah. She says, do you remember me? He's like, oh, I remember, you know, it's that kind of thing. He says, listen to me, you read your Bible? He says, oh yeah, yeah, I read the Bible. She says, do you believe the Bible? He says, oh yeah, I believe the Bible. She goes, I got to tell you something. I've been reading my Bible. I don't think my job is okay with God. What do you think of that? Now, let me ask you a question. Who told her that? Who told her? God told her. The Holy Spirit told her that. She didn't walk down the aisle and say, sister, have a seat, but you got to know this. You can't be a stripper anymore. Like they just loved her. They just showed her grace. Our job is not to fix folks. Like, we catch them, he cleans them. Right? That's not our job. I'm just saying, man, what if, what if grace was our headline? What, 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 how would people be attracted 
in that regard. Now, a lot of times I have a big now what, like, you know, we have our big so what. I'll give you the big so what today. The big so what is always think grace first. Always think grace first. Let's let grace be our headline. Let's say, we're gonna get the truth. The Holy Spirit is gonna reveal truth to him, right? Oftentimes I have a big now what. I don't have one today, but I wanna pose a question because I want you to think about this and I want Neil to think about this and I want Cedar Valley Church to just think about this for a minute. See what I'm saying? I want that woman walking in here. I want you to know that you can invite that woman in here. And it obviously doesn't have to be a woman. I think some of you walked in here today and you happened to come in, but you were a little intimidated. Like, oh, they're church folks. They don't know my life. I hope it's safe for me here. I want you to know this, it's safe. We're glad you're here and it's safe. And here's the other thing I know. I know that some of you have been following Jesus a long time. You made a commitment to follow Christ a long time ago and you've just wandered, man. You're so far away from Jesus right now. That's the truth. You're just far away from Jesus. You thought, oh, if anybody knew me, if anybody knew me, listen, man, Jesus knows you. And this is a safe place for you. And I want you to always be, feel safe coming in here. Because I'm convinced that if we extend the grace of Christ, that's attractive to people. And if you're, if you're online watching this morning, listen, I, just, I, th I think you need to experience God's grace in the body of Christ. Just FYI, and I'll say this as tenderly as I can, we didn't create the online experience so that you all can just be at home. We created that so if you're sick, if you're on vacation, we know that people are checking in and checking us out. Come here and experience the grace of the body of Christ. I, th I, think that's, I think that's important. I want you to know that this place will be safe and we're gonna create a safe place and we're gonna extend God's grace. We're gonna catch him, he's gonna clean him. Look, he's cleaning me all the time. God's like, I thought I cleaned this fish. I gotta do this again? Yeah, probably, probably do some more. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to come up at the front. If you're on our prayer team, I want you to come up. Just get on up here and they're gonna stand up here at the front. I want you to see them. I want you to know that there are people up here. I believe this with all my heart. I've been praying for you since I've been working on this message for the last three weeks. I believe there are folks that have walked in this house today. You came today, it's not a mistake. You might be watching online, it's not a mistake. It's not a coincidence. And I think you're seeking peace with God. I just know that. You're seeking peace with God. I think there are people who've never committed their life to Christ. You've never thought about it. Well, you've thought about it, you've questioned it, but you've never done it. And I also know that in a room like this, I know there's some of you that are just a long way from God. You may have committed your life to Christ and you feel like you're a long way from God and you're like, oh, God couldn't forgive me. I'm telling you what, God's grace is there. And it's there for all of us. It's there for me. I'm grateful that God's grace is there for me because I'm needing it. 
I desperately need it. And so if that's you this morning, this could be the day of change. This could be the day where you say, finally, I'm going to quit messing around. I've been feeling that tension. I need to get my life right with God. And I'm saying today would be that day. Like, why would you wait? Why, 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 why wait? I've been praying for you. I've been preparing this for you. I've been preparing for this moment. And I'm saying, don't wait. Don't wait. All right, so let's do this. We're all going to pray together. Everybody in the room, we're all going to pray together. And uh, we're going to commit our lives to Christ. And even if this is a recommitment. So I always say this, there's not a magic prayer. There's no magic prayers, right? It's what's in our heart. But I'm going to lead us all through a prayer. And uh, maybe you didn't come forward. Listen, there's grace for that. But we're going to pray this together. Bow your heads with me. Repeat after me. God in heaven, I acknowledge who you are. You are the Holy One. You are the great creator. You are my creator. I acknowledge who I am. I'm a sinner. I've sinned. I've sinned against you. But I acknowledge my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. And I believe that he died for me. Today I confess my sins and I receive his forgiveness. Now, Father God, I commit my life to you. I surrender my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the strength to live the rest of my days fully committed to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.